Apologies to the liberals and the Antifa scumbags who thought I had dropped off the map, disappeared, and disintegrated. Unfortunately for you guys, I am back. Happy New Year, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Whitfield Report. I am Sam Whitfield, host of this program. And without further ado, let's get this new year started, ladies and gentlemen. Our website is thesamwhitfield.com, where you can find my show notes, my blog, links to all of my social media outlets, and so much more. I just got a new uh, design, a new template, which kind of reformatted the site. I think it looks much better uh, in terms of readability, and it, it just looks sleek and awesome. So we have a new website. It's a new year, ladies and gentlemen, and I want to thank you for joining me. First off, I'd like to take the first few minutes of the program to address uh, last year, 2017. I stopped doing the podcast sort of abruptly last year and I apologize to my fans who were regular listeners of the podcast. Long story short, the reason why I uh, had to stop doing the podcast was because back in September or so we had a big hurricane here in Florida, which shut everything down for a few weeks. My college campus was closed down. Uh, Fortunately, no one was hurt in um, Hurricane Irma. At least no one I knew. My property was okay. I was okay. Everything was fine. Uh, But because of the hurricane... I had to catch up on school and all of that jazz, all of my college courses. Well, everyone did, not just me. Um, and by the time I got caught up with everything school-related because of the hurricane, it was pretty much time for final exams. Um, and... Because of those two things, I was not able to do anything real related to the podcast or politics for a while. And I'm I'm sorry I wasn't there to uh, provide more content for you at the end of last year. But it is what it is. It's a new year. Happy 2018. And uh, we're going to be providing... Lots more content here at the Whitfield Report for you in 2018. And I know we have a few new audience uh, members. So thank you for tuning in and happy to have you aboard for this new year. My first guest for this year is Mark Goryov. He is a uh, congressional candidate running in Arizona, and Mark and I met at the end of last year in a uh, Facebook group for Millennial Conservatives that we belong to, and uh, his campaign manager, um, Katie Webb, also happens to now be a board member of American Watchmen, which is the publication that I run in conjunction with this podcast. I'll be having her on in a few weeks to talk about herself and her background. But I wanted to invite Mark onto the podcast to discuss his campaign in Arizona. And even though this is a national show, I believe um, that focusing on state and local candidates is just as effective for spreading uh, conservatism, especially in the millennial generation. So Mark is our guest this week, 
And without further ado, I'm going to cue my interview up for him. Enjoy, folks. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. And joining me for the first interview of the year, we have Mark Grigoryov, who is running for uh, Congressional District 9 as a representative in Arizona. And uh, Mark has a very interesting background. He's been in the uh, military, and um, I actually met Mark a few uh, months ago, back in December, in a Google Hangout group that we uh, belong to, and through a friend of ours, uh, we decided to have him on the show, and it's all worked out. So, uh, Mark, thank you for uh, joining me. How are you today? Hey, th- hey, thanks for inviting me. I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm I'm doing well, sir. So, uh, Mark, as I mentioned, you have a pretty interesting uh, background in the. Uh, military, but you're also an immigrant uh, to the U.S., so uh, why don't you just briefly explain to us a little bit about your background, um, how you came to this country, what your military service was like, and uh, anything else you'd like uh, us to know about you. Uh, Yeah, uh, basically, um, I came to the United States when I was only three months old, and basically, um, my parents, uh, they were... um, they left the Soviet Union um, to find religious liberty in the West. And um, on their way to America, they stopped by in, in Italy, and they're waiting for their final approval to enter the United States. And while they're waiting, uh, that's when I was born. I was born in Italy. And after I was born, uh, we came to America. I was a three-month-old baby. So I was almost born in the States, like almost uh, but um, basically, and um, and then uh, I lived uh, in like three different, actually, like before I moved to Arizona, I lived in three different states. I grew up in Pennsylvania, lived in Oregon, lived in North Carolina. And then uh, I, I moved down to Arizona, went to school. I joined the National Guard, did uh, three years in, in the National Guard. And uh, after that, I just um, basically just... Um, like a lived life as a regular American, just a uh, just a working class citizen who just uh, is, is enjoying, who basically is grateful to be in America than anywhere else. And uh, I've been to Europe. Um, that's where I met my wife. And uh, and I, I, I've seen um, let's say some stuff in Europe that, <laughs> that like uh, not many Americans uh, would like to see. Like I went to Ukraine and I. Saw the conflict over there, like the civil war that's happening, and um, yeah. So I'm basically glad that like uh, I got my wife out of there, like, uh, and uh, she's here in the states now with me, and like we're both just uh, I'm glad to be in America, and um, uh, like um, that that's basically my, my whole background right there. <laughs> so regular, I'm just a regular, regular working class American who is also in immigrants and um and of course i speak three different languages so that's another thing you'd like to know about me wow <laughs> yeah. yeah so you so you basically um you're you're an immigrant yourself and then your your wife is an immigrant too from the from the ukraine uh yeah correct so that and then correct. and then you served in the military so thank so thank you for your service sir i really appreciate that we we love our veterans and um, here. So uh, you've had a pretty interesting life. What motivated you to uh, decide that you wanted to run for Congress? Uh, well, um, basically, I got tired of the swamp, let's say that. <laughs> um, like, uh, I realized that, like, no matter uh, who we vote for, like, no matter what we do, um, basically, Congress is technically the same. Um, if you look at um, if you look at the Congress right now, like if you look at the GOP right now, technically, I mean, the GOP, like the Republican Party is what really makes sense right now when it comes to 
trying to have some kind of sensible government. But unfortunately, it's, dom it's being dominated by, let's say, the, the baby boomers. Now, I'm not against all baby boomers. There are, there are some baby boomers who I would vote for 20 times, right? But uh, a vast majority of them are basically ru ruining the party. And not just ruining the party, they're not doing anything for us. Uh, they're basically doing everything for themselves. Uh, you, you, they have not shrunk the government as we promised. They're always making compromises, right? And um, they're, they're trying to make deals. And and when you think when you think about it, these deals, you know, they're not they're not for our benefits. And that's what's going on. Uh, I'm sick and tired of these career politicians who just keep running for office, keep um, making promises for us, and they're not really living up to their promises. And people say, well, they're experienced, and you know, we need to vote for experienced politicians. My question is, what has an experienced politician done for you and for me, other than just break their promises? Or not just break their promises, um, they would uh, basically um, act out of their own interest. They won't act in our interest. They won't do anything good for us, uh, neither domestically nor internationally. And uh, as a regular uh, working class American, I'm just sick and tired of that. And I think we need some real change in Congress. We need real Americans, not, not these uh, career politicians who have been uh, in Congress or the Senate for 20, 40 years. We need actual Americans who want real change. We need regular people to run for Congress. Uh, like we don't need no more experienced politicians. Uh, there are a few exceptions, but uh, the vast majority of experienced politicians are no longer our friends. They're, they do not represent us anymore. And so it's time for a, let's say, um, how do you call it, for a peaceful uh, pe people's revolution. And I'd say Trump is a good inspiration for that. Trump really inspired me because he's never had any political experience. People even said, well, he's not experienced, he's not qualified. Well, guess what? The unexperienced, well, the inexperienced person like Trump basically just got into office and he's actually making some really good changes. Uh, and for example, the tax cuts are a good example right there. Yeah, the indeed the tax cuts are. I, I just read yesterday actually that uh, Apple is uh, bringing back $38 billion uh, of their revenue back to the U.S. And, uh, and that's just for taxes alone that they're going to be giving to the government, uh, it, it was reduced at 15%. And uh, because of that, they've been able to uh, add bonuses um, and give, yeah, finally give their employees uh, bonuses. I've also heard that, I've also heard that Apple is also adding more jobs too. Yeah, I, th I think it's like, they're supposed to add like 20,000 on top of the already 120,000 employees they already have or something like that. And uh, and I hear that Amazon is following suit too. So yeah, that that's good. I, I did want to actually ask you about uh, Trump in and of himself, because I know that you worked somewhat um, on the campaign there in Arizona trying to get him elected. Um, do you feel that Trump's election um, has opened um, the gates for more ordinary Americans to pursue political office now? Uh, yes, it has. I believe it, it has, but unfortunately, <laughs> I know this, this might not sound like a good thing. I mean, I know this is not going to sound like a good thing, but I think the people who are more inspired to run for office are unfortunately Democrats. Because right, right, yeah. Like, if you look at what happened in 2017, by the end of 2017, uh, I believe it was 19 or 20 uh, states um, where they voted for uh, city office, state office, and I think I think like a few congressional seats as well, and just regular uh, folks, regular folks who got elected, and I believe the uh, governor of Virginia or something like that, or I forgot which election it was. I think, I think it was Virginia where they had like um, some de young Democrats win and or like then there's some other states where you had a young people. It was not just regular people. It was young people. And uh, the I give credit to Democrats, though, is that like they don't immediately start saying, well, you're too young. You're inexperienced. You shouldn't run. 
uh, they encourage their young people to actually go for office. Um, right. And, and, I, and I understand why, like, uh, now they're, they're all running for the wrong reasons. They're running in opposition to Trump, but I give them credit for actually uh, realizing, hey, they could actually run for office. <laughs> Unfortunately, with, with us, with our party, the GOP, Unfortunately, we got too many people who are, who are, are like, what's your experience and what's your background? Who do you think you are? How dare you even run? <laughs> right. Like, well, why don't you start small? Why don't you start like uh, as a city councilman or something else? And, and like, uh, like uh, we have this, like, uh, again, we have this baby boomer generation uh, trying to suppress uh, the true, like true working class, not just working class Americans, just any regular person. From running and um like uh so it has inspired people to run but i think it inspired the democrats more than it has the republicans and uh and again like uh like, like again democrats they're, they're running for the wrong reasons but like uh in a, in a certain extent like um like it has inspired more people to run regular people to start running and and, and on the republican side we, we got i'm pretty sure in other states there are some regular folks who are starting to run for uh, some kind of political office. And uh, I believe in Louisiana, there's a, I forgot her name, but in Louisiana, there's a millennial. She's running for some kind of a, a state office as well. So yeah, I believe Donald Trump has pushed this inspiration for regular people and experienced people to just get up there and try to run, try to make a change. Yeah, um, and indeed. Well, you um, well, I know you're running for Congress in Arizona, and and I'm in I'm in Florida, and this is a national uh, podcast. But even so, I wanted to ask you a few uh, questions because I'm originally from uh, Colorado, which is right next door to Arizona, um, and I I believe it was Governor Jan Brewer at, at the time uh, once came and spoke um, at a uh, convention I was in in Colorado, and um, this was probably about like oh five or six years ago now, back in uh, 2012. But uh, one of the big uh, issues in Arizona um, that I know of is obviously immigration. I know that uh, the Arizona border has been a big um, hot topic, not only statewide for you guys but also uh nationally um so what is your position on the uh arizona uh border and uh immigration in general and then uh are there any specific uh issues facing arizona that you would like to uh address and what are your positions on those as well well i believe that we need a strong border and not just for Arizona, I say um, basically for the whole country, especially the, the southern part, the southern border. And uh, I believe that, like, we mm-hmm. should. Uh, I believe that we should um, put more, our instead of wasting money, let's say on stuff like on, for example, instead of um, giving money to Pakistan, why don't you just put that money into the border? And I, I got no problem with the wall. Uh, to be honest, I mean. Like I, I would actually support, actually support on building the wall, again not just in Arizona but across the entire southern border, because we have to defend our values. Like for example, like a, and again I'm an immigrant and I'm not against immigration myself, and I believe I believe that we need true immigration reform, but simultaneously, people need to come here legally. People need to. Do it the right way, because because people need to get vetted. Because we need to make sure who's who. Like, uh, for example, that recent video on uh, Facebook that's been trending recently, where they had um, an illegal immigrant who has been deported twice, and he came back again, and then he murdered uh, two police officers, and he said that he'll do it again, and all that stuff. You know, these are, and again, he's one of many. This guy, he's one of many illegals that come here. Now, this does not mean all illegals are like that. But again, like had the person been vetted, maybe it could have been prevented. Or if we had a strong border, um, it would not have happened. And I believe that border wall uh, would actually be a good way to kind of slow down the illegal immigration. 
simultaneously, I believe that we need to return our National Guard to the southern border. Because uh, when I was in the Guard, actually, we did have a program where um, uh, certain National Guard units would work uh, with simultaneously with the Border Patrol. Like, Border Patrol will be doing their own thing, and the National Guard units uh, will be doing their own thing. Like, they'll, they'll report stuff to the Border Patrol, what they see, and all that stuff. And I actually, when I was in the Guard, I tried to fill out an application to join those guys uh, down there on the border. But then um, a month later, Obama got rid of that program. <laughs> and so like uh, basically uh, we had no more, so we have no more National Guard in the Southern part of our border. Uh, and that's another thing I, I would support, I would support bringing that back. And so simultaneously we need more people and we also need a wall. And again, if you can't get here uh, legally, then you shouldn't come at all. Because again, we don't like uh, if you're not able, if you're not willing to pass a background check, you know, if you're not willing to follow our, our laws, then sorry, you're a criminal. And uh, I believe that because it's not because what's really interesting. It amazes me how so many people here believe that supporting open borders is a good thing, because a lot of the illegals when they're coming here. They're not coming here to study the Constitution. They're not here to study our values. Like they're not here just to pick up a, a book on capitalism and uh, learn how to kind of grow the economy. They're coming here to get an easy to get an easy job that pays them dollars, and they also they're coming here for the benefits. And California is a good example of where a lot of them go to, and it's it's a it's a burden on our economy. It's a burden on the taxpayer. So I believe in strong immigration security. And uh, at the same time, I do believe we need like some really good immigration reform because uh, I believe that it should not be hard to come here legally, which is another reason why some people do try to come here legally because it's just, um, I, I think uh, it's a little, uh, uh, like uh, for example, when I try to get my wife over here uh, to this country, it, like it was a very, uh, it, was a, it was a very expensive process, and uh, it, like um, like it could have taken a year or two years uh, for it to come over here. But luckily, um, it, it only took like took us six months. But again, like uh, like but like uh, what if it took a year? You know that would have been really bad. <laughs> but like I believe, but I believe that like um, it shouldn't it it should not be too hard to come here legally. We should kind of figure out ways how we can make a faster background check while at the same time have stronger um, border security as well. And we need, again, we need more men on the border. We need a stricter border policy law. So again, if you break, if you come here illegally, you, um, like you should, you should get punished. You should, you should be treated as a criminal. Right, I, I agree. I, I do want to ask you, um, because your wife is an immigrant and because you uh, went through the experience of trying to bring her her, her over. I I haven't really talked to that many immigrants about this, but I am curious. Um, what is the what is the process uh, like to apply to come here as as an immigrant? And because I I imagine that that there is a lengthy uh, bureaucratic paper trail and uh, process yep. that you that you Super have. To super bureaucratic <laughs> yeah super bureaucratic and uh basically worthless <laughs> so um, is so yeah. is is it just a is it just a lot of uh is it just a lot of uh paperwork or because the, the well, one the one thing that i hear from you know liberals all, all the time is that the the process is you know difficult to get through just because there's so much paperwork um so that that's kind of their excuse for illegal immigration. Yeah, well, I mean, um, there, there should not be any excuse for illegal immigration. <laughs> right. But, uh, but like, uh, they somewhat have a point, actually, when they say, well, it does take a while to come here, though. And uh, now with my wife, it's a little bit different. Uh, the paperwork was slightly different than regular immigration work because um, uh, I, had to do a, I had to do a K-1 visa. So she had to so she had to apply for a K-1 visa. A K-1 visa is a is a is known as the fiance visa. 
So, um, because when I was bringing her over here, she's still my fiance. She's not my wife. And, um, right. which actually makes it easier. So for example, let's say now, actually, uh, to anyone who's listening, and if you want to marry, <clears throat> if you want to marry a woman who's overseas, don't marry her. Um, don't marry her in, in her country. Bring her over here to America first, or and, and then uh, do that. Because if you marry first and then try to bring your 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 spouse over here, it's it's called there's a different visa for that. It's a spousal visa. Now that takes even longer. And that's and that's more strenuous, and the wait time is longer for that. <laughs> but uh, the the fiance visa is what what. what my wife at the time, when she was my fiance, she applied for, and that is actually, um, it's um, it's a little different than your typical immigration visa, and uh, because I, I'm, because I also had to say that I'm her sponsor because it, there are questions like, who's your sponsor? And she says, you know, well, he's my sponsor, and you know, he's supposed to support me like while I'm here in the United States, because you know, like when you fill out the documents, uh, they want to know. Who's going to sponsor you so you won't be a burden? Uh, so, like, you need to have a sponsor when you come here. And so, let's fill out uh, all that paperwork. Now, the problem is that the wait time, uh, like, it's ridiculous. Like, so I'll, I'll fill out a bunch of paperwork, I'll submit it, and then, like, we wait, we're waiting, we're waiting for, uh, for them to contact me or her or both of us and say, hey, uh, like, you need to do this, right? We got, right. we got the paper now fill out this paper and like i remember i filled out some little short form and it took them another month just to get back to me and and again it's psychologically it's kind of like oh you're, you're wondering will they approve it will they not and you're just worried right right and then like right after we filled out all the hard stuff like um and basically uh and then like finally we got to like like the final phase, the final stage of thought. This time we had to fill out some more stuff on the internet. And I had to fill out all her information. What's interesting, a lot of it is also repetitive. That's that's the that's the, another part. Uh, it's lots of repetition of the same old questions, like your dad's name, your parent, your mom's name, and what, what was your mom's maiden name? And, and uh, then like, mm-hmm. oh, so I remember I had to fill that out. I had to like uh, fill that stuff all over again, the final phase. And then there are some questions like, uh, like, uh, are you a member of, are you a member of the communist party? Are you a member of some criminal group? And if, uh, obviously a smart person would say no. <laughs> right. But right. like, and then like, but then like, but if, if you, if you are, or if you were, can you list the name of the group? <laughs> all, all that stuff. And it just becomes really strenuous. And like, uh, so liberals do have somewhat of a point when they say that is, uh, super hard to come here now and then after that I remember they sent an email to my wife saying well now you need to go to um, oh, your local police station and ask them for a background check and then she needs to uh, get the background check from them and then she had, she had to submit all the info uh, uh, back to, um, to, our, to our government uh, workers who are doing our paperwork and again, it's just a loss of back and forth, a loss of paperwork. And um, I was thinking uh, they, they could have saved time if they only just uh, requested a background check information. That, that is it. Like, uh, basically, like, uh, personally, I think it should just be, like, like, at least five pages. You know, like, one is about what's your background, your history. And then, then you need some, some information about your criminal background. That's it. And, but unfortunately, like... Um, government needs a lot of personal questions and it just gets i guess repetitive and it's just really boring it's just a complete waste of time but and and after you submit all that stuff after you wasted all your time trying like to uh work through that stuff they tell you okay well it could take about a year okay take about two years (laughs) and um but luckily um like um we got everything done in six months so like we're very lucky like that like for us, it was six months. Uh, others wait like a year or two. Yeah. Wow. So that's, the whole, that's the whole process. So. Yeah. And it and it sounds to me like, it sounds to me like they sent you paperwork, but then they also um, 
made you fill out stuff online as well for, for a yeah, lot of the yeah. same stuff. Yeah, like yeah. Final Fantasy, uh, I had to fill out, fill out with this long thing on, on the internet. It took forever. But, I mean, yeah. not forever, but it just got, it's just really annoying. <laughs> it, it, it's, it seems to me, um, I mean, I've talked to people on both side, sides of the aisle about, about this, and it, it seems to me like one of the things that would be beneficial in terms of reforming immigration is to put the entire thing um, online, you know, and maybe just have like different, you know, language, languages like that. You, you know, they have that for almost, you know, every other website out there now. So it just seems to me like they should be able to digitize all there, that. There has to be, so. Yeah, there has to be some kind of reform and there has to be some kind of way that would they could shorten it. Because, I mean, yeah. uh, uh, they still asked my wife to then go to the local authorities and ask them to print out a copy of all her background, criminal background, and then she had to scan it and then send it to them. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So, um, I mean, like a, like a, but they only asked that like after we filled out a bunch of paperwork. Then we had to wait a while. And then, like close, like they basically asked for that info close to the end when, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and so, then like. Um, before she and, and also part of the final phase, she has to go to like uh, the U.S. Uh, embassy at the capital. So she had to waste money. Like actually, I had to send her money so that she may take the train to go all the way to the capital <laughs> to have an interview with uh, one of the consulate, one of the, one of the U.S. consulates at, at the capital in Ukraine. So like, <laughs> uh, so it's just another another waste of time. And again, if the person doesn't like you. They could just uh, say, "Oh, you're not approved." <laughs> yeah, so, and, so. and like it basically, like all those months could have been just wasted for nothing. Yeah, and, and then and then you have to start the entire process all over again. All over again. That is correct. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we're, uh, blessed. we're blessed. So, yeah, we're, we're very fortunate. Yeah, yeah, and thank and thank God for that. So, um, I mean, so what other issues? Um, besides immigration are uh our hot topic you know issues well, for you strong national defense for you and, like when we need a strong national defense i believe for this country i mean it ties in with uh war security right but uh the reason why i bring up national defense is because um like we keep uh, uh wasting lots of money now i'm going to talk about some wasteful spending too so like it all ties in together and the problem with Congress today, Congress does not care about whether or not they uh, spend your money. Like, um, like there's a like there's a list out there where, uh, like, the government spends money on foreign on foreign things, on domestic things, and you're wondering where that money goes. And for example, like I believe, like if, uh, there, there, there's a story where, um, like, in, there was an incident in Syria. Where uh, our government under Obama tried to find uh, rebel groups that were pro-Western, so like the moderate, they were looking for, for moderate rebel groups in Syria, and they found 60 men. They were able to gather 60 men, and uh, they spent 200 200 million dollars training the, those 60 guys to fight against both ISIS and against Assad. So after those 60 guys were trained. When, when it came to actual fighting, half of them scattered, the other half joined ISIS. And, and there you go. That, that's one example. The government, our government is wasting their tax dollars, dollars on useless endeavors like that. 60 guys were trained, and half of them joined ISIS. And two, like $200 million were wasted. And that's our tax dollars right there. That's one example out of thousands upon thousands of examples of the government spending money. And so, like, one of my goals as a congressman would be to hold Congress accountable and to ask the action, not just Congress, but the government accountable. Like, I, I would actually demand that we uh, have the government present to us a list of what our money is being spent on. And, uh, for example, um, like, recently we had this, well, I guess, are we going through, I believe we're going through a shutdown currently because I, I guess the Democrats don't want funding for our military. Yeah, they... Yeah, yes. and so, yeah. like, uh, well, like, a, there's an example right there. Um, our government w wants to 
uh, spend money on useless endeavors. And but when it comes to our military, it comes to our border security and national defense, oh, we don't have any money for that. All, all of a sudden, like we just don't have money for that. <laughs> but we do have money on useless endeavors overseas. And uh, again, I and that 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 example with Syria, that's just one example, one example out of thousands. Like, what else is the government spending money on? Or here's another one. Um, uh, and this this is only city governments. Like uh, in New York City, uh, John Stossel did a report where uh, basically uh, New York, like uh, the city spent like a, a couple, like $2 million to build a useless, well, not useless, but just a, like uh, just a regular public bathroom. And and, and then like not yeah, far from it, yeah, some, some private person, um, some private person built a bathroom for like I believe, like two hundred grand, and it was way better. And there's more people going waiting in lines going to that bathroom than the public bathroom, <laughs> and the public bathroom like cost. And there you go. That's just an example. That that's just city government. That's city government spending yeah. millions of dollars on useless stuff. Imagine what the federal government's spending on. <laughs> and and again, I already told you the thing about Syria. Well, what else is out there? Like we need to have a big list. And in Congress, I will bring it up. I will say, I will ask, I will ask, what are you guys spending our, t- our tax dollars on? Like, where's our money going? Why don't we have enough for the veterans? Why don't we we have enough for the American people? Like, there, there's something wrong. Like, none, of the, none of this makes sense. And unfortunately, current congressmen, they're not bringing that up. Like, they're not even talking about that. Like, um, and they're all just, again, I, I have not, like it's very rare when you see a congressman or a senator like standing up for the American people and asking, where is our money going? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like there, there's, there's still, I mean, Trump is draining the swamp, but there still is a lot of government uh, waste. Um, well, it's just one person, and uh, he's surrounded by a bunch of like um, a bunch of uh, baby boomers who, I don't know, like, uh, like uh, I guess they're just really corrupt because like, I don't know how else to explain this. Like, like why, why, why is the government so big the way it is? Why is it so big? But then, uh, but then like, uh, they don't have enough to take care of our veterans. It's so big, but they don't have enough money to uh, have strong border security. Like, you know, you know what I mean, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, all I can say is I think, uh, you know, a lot of this bureaucracy has uh, been building up over the past uh, 75, 80 years, you know, longer than both you and I have been alive. So obviously it's obviously it took a long time to to build, you know, all this, um, you know, bureaucratic infrastructure up. And so, you know, it's probably going to take just as long, if not longer, to tear it all down. But I, I do agree with you. We have to, we have to start somewhere. So, and I mean, uh, Congress, uh, I believe, is a perfect place to start. And uh, like uh, I, I tell people, if I'm actually in Congress, uh, <laughs> like remember, I got like no lobbyists backing me up. I, I'm zero. Like I got no connections to any establishment politicians. <laughs> I'm just a regular person, a regular person who wants to represent uh, uh, not not just CD9, but the American people. Like, and I believe that like it's time that like regular people just start uh, getting active and just start running. Like, forget forget these experienced politicians and their uh, um, like their beautiful track records of conservatism. But then, like all of a sudden, once you get elected, do you? to the U.S. Senate, to Congress, they don't do anything. They don't do anything to shrink the government. Right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the, the bureaucracy is just really shameful. So yeah. I, I agree. And it's not, it's not just the, it's not just regular people that needs to start running. It's millennials. And like uh, I spoke to the College Republicans United at ASU uh, last week. Actually, not last week, a couple of days ago, and like I told them, look, look, guys, you guys are millennials too. Start running for office. You know, look, look it up. <laughs> like, uh, city government, state government, whatever you want to run for. If you 
if you fit the age requirement, go for it. <laughs> Run for that, yeah. for that office. Because we need more millennials, more conservative Republican millennials uh, trying to run uh, run for office, and if you look at Democrats, right, uh, like half of them, uh, they look pretty young, and it's very sad that our generation, millennials, that seventy percent of them are seduced by this idea called socialism, and uh, and they follow guys like Bernie Sanders, right? Right. And like, uh, but you have to give credit to the Democrats, give them some credit that they're able to, let's say, attract the young people. While the GOP is not really doing much to attract the young people, we have good voices. Uh, we have good, strong, logical voices uh, uh, who are young, but unfortunately, they're not running for office. Right. And like, uh, and so like, I'm thinking, well, then I'll just run. Like, uh, I'll I'll actually uh, do it. I'll be a conservative millennial who's actually going to stand up and try to. Uh, go against the system. <laughs> hey, my, hey, might as well. And hopefully, your actions will inspire others to, uh, you know, run themselves. So, I really, uh, I really, I really, I really, ho- I really hope that, I really hope it happens. Uh, I, I would love to see more millennials get on, uh, get on board and to and start fighting for our country. Because remember, these baby boomers who are currently in office, they'll get, they'll get their social security checks, they'll get their money. Like uh, us millennials, I don't know. But we millennials, uh, like we're going to be responsible for our kids and not just for our kids, for our grandchildren's future as well. Right. Well, and it's, you know, and and I mean, it's it's interesting, you know, because millennials, you know, we're all we're already starting to. I mean, I have a few friends who, you know, I, I just turned 23, but I, I already have friends, you know, who who have kids already. And so, you know, that's. You know, yeah. I mean, all of that is starting. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. We need, we do need to secure not only our future, but the future of our kids as well. So, um. and there's another thing uh, that we need to focus on. I say is foreign policy. Uh, again, the baby boomers, uh, honestly, the ones that are currently sitting in the Senate and the Congress, they, it doesn't matter if they're Republican or Democrat. They actually don't know what's going on overseas. They really don't. <laughs> I mean, like. Um, even if they do, like even even if some of them go overseas, like John McCain, <laughs> they'll be they'll be hanging out with the wrong group of people. Like they'll say, "Oh, these are the good guys," you know. And here I am, here they are posing, taking pictures with the supposed good guys. Turns out those good guys are bad guys. <laughs> right. And again, you, no apologies from John McCain. Like when people said, "Oh, hey, John McCain, those guys, they're they're Al Qaeda. Those are bad guys. Those are our enemies. Why are you taking pictures with them?" Like, You're right. Uh, no, no apologies from him and because you know he doesn't he doesn't believe that he's wrong he doesn't believe those are bad guys and it's not just him but uh, there are other politicians ones that who do go overseas again they'll 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 support the wrong side and i believe that there's uh, more to it than like them being wrong i think like um i don't want to get into it too far too much but basically uh, when it comes to foreign policy uh, I, like uh, we're so close to world war three and we need um, people like I say it would actually help us if we had, let's say, maybe a few French immigrants, a few German immigrants in Congress, in the Senate. And maybe because, for example, um, like uh, the congressmen and senators currently, they don't know a lot of the mentality of people overseas. They don't know how people overseas think. They don't know why a certain country would act a certain way. They don't understand that. And it, w- it would be nice to have, kind of have a few politicians in Congress where where they're not so ignorant of what's going on, where you could actually have some voice of reason in there. And there's, that's another thing. Um, like, um, as an immigrant, I actually understand the mentality of at least 15 different nationalities. And because my parents are from the Soviet Union, well, like it wasn't just uh, Russia and Ukraine and Belarus, there's a bunch of other countries that were involved as well. And after the Soviet Union bro- uh, broke apart, um, like basically, some countries decide to be allies with the United States. Some countries decide to be allies with Russia, and like uh, so. And all the senators and Congress people, they don't know this type of history. They don't take the time to study the history of certain countries, of certain um, uh, of certain religions or cultures. They don't understand that. And 
that is why we're always so close to World War III. Like, because there's something that our government does that just kind of angers a different country. And then we're thinking, what's going on? And again, we need some voice of reason in Congress and in the Senate. Right. Right. Yeah. And it seems to me like you're, you're going to be one of, the, one of those voices, if not the sole voice uh, for the time being. So, well, um, I mean, uh, like if I am elected, like I will try my best to be on that voice of reason. <laughs> why, why well, really appreciate what, what you're doing. So, uh, Mark, where can we find you online and where can people go to support your campaign? Uh, yes. Uh, basically, um, if they would like to support my campaign, they may go to my website, markforarizona.com. And folks, and, uh, that's that's the number four, I believe, in Mark for Yes, that's, uh, yeah. the number four. So when they say Mark for Arizona, it's just number four, markforarizona.com. And the website um, will have a link um, where they could donate um, and uh, basically like support the campaign from there. And if anyone lives in Arizona, CD9, they could sign the online petition. There's also a link to that as well. So anyone who's listening, they live in Arizona, uh, you could sign a petition online as well. Yeah, we we, we do have we do have a few listeners in Arizona, actually. So uh, our affiliates over there should, uh, you know, sign that petition out as well. So, uh, and you, and Folks, you can also follow Mark on Twitter at Mark for Arizona. And uh, do you have do you have a Facebook page for your campaign as well? Uh, yes, um, my Facebook page is Mark uh, uh, Mark for Congress, and then like uh, I also have a group called uh, Mark for Congress as well. And uh, so you can find the, so you can find the page, you can find the, the group on Facebook. Alrighty, well that that sounds good, Mark. I want to thank you for coming on the program, and uh, folks, we'll have all that information about Mark uh, linked on our websites in in the uh, show notes uh, portion of the website. So, Mark, thank you for coming on the program, and I uh, really appreciate your time. Good luck. Right. All right, folks, and that concludes our interview for today and pretty much our entire show for today. I want to thank Mark for coming on the program, and as I mentioned at the end of the interview, I wish him the best of luck in his campaign for Congress running in Arizona. You can check out his website and his Twitter page at markforarizona.com. Again, that's Mark for the number four arizona.com and you can follow me on twitter at mark for arizona i'll have all those details listed in the podcast show notes as usual if you're on tape right you can access those immediately just by clicking on the links in the corresponding card uh folks by the way you may have heard uh what sounds like uh, cassette tape effects in the podcast and I inserted those on purpose uh, those aren't me the, those are real royalty free audio sound effects but those uh, tape player sound effects are to signify the transition between 
interviews and uh, quote-unquote live audio, which is what I'm doing right now. I figured it would kind of be my way of transitioning between the two, and it would also kind of give the podcast a cinematic feel, and best of all, the sound effects are free. So I did add those uh, tape sound effects on purpose, kind of giving you a little behind-the-scenes look at the show here. And uh, so when you hear those cassette uh, sound effects in the future, that means that we will be transitioning to and from an interview. You'll hear them before the interview starts, and then when the interview ends, you'll hear the other tape sound effect, which means that I'm transitioning back to the quote-unquote live recording of the audio for the podcast. All right, folks, so that just about does it for our first show of 2018. I want to thank you for joining me this week and for this episode. We will be back for another edition of the Whitfield Report uh, sometime later this week or early next week. And from all of us here at NGC Studios and American Watchmen, good night, good day, God bless, and God save this great nation. Thank you for listening to the Woodfield Report. It's going to be a great year.